0: This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy.
1: <laughs> Podcasting. The final frontier. These are the thoughts of the podcast Half Measures. It's continuing mission to explore strange new shows, to seek out new movies and new peak performances, to boldly go where many podcasts have gone before.
0: That's good. That's good. I've actually got a an intro that's a little bit in sync with that actually. Ladies and gentlemen Friends of the Half Measures podcast, Patreon producers, let me reintroduce you to the man who invented the Kobayashi Maru, the man who defied Starfleet more times than has had hot cups of tea, the man who never wears a red shirt into battle, the man who always jumps his sideburns to a point, the man who always keeps his faces set to stunning, it's everyone's favourite host, Captain Paul Kanauer.
1: Thank you, Dan. Uh, my intro, of course, gave no no introduction to you. Just simply, I felt a real strong Star Trek vibe going on, so I'm glad I came in with some track today. Um, I'm also glad that you picked up on the the points on my side sideburns because I've, I've been doing that for the better part of like 20 years, and I just don't know if people realize what it is. It's it's the it's the Star Trek sideburn, and if you Google it, it's a real thing.
0: It's regulation. That's why you do it.
1: Thank you. It's regulation. Thank you.
0: It's great, Paul. I've noticed it for a long time, and now as a, a Star Trek convert, um, every time I see those sideburns, I'm like, that's a classic Paul Canoa move.
1: That's right. Classic Kirk, classic Spock, classic McCoy, all the way through, all through the series, through Voyager, through through Enterprise. I'm pretty sure all of them, they always have the pointy, the pointy sideburns. So there we are. A little bit of trivia well, for that's everyone.
0: Does the card have them? It's just got points <laughs> on the side. <laughs>
1: I, I will have no laughter at the expense of Jean-Luc on this podcast, Dan waiting, I can tell you that much. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so if you want to get in touch with us and talk to us about your sideburns, <laughs> or if you want to put Dan in his place for insulting Jean-Luc Picard, uh, you can do so on social media at Half Measures Pod, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, uh, or you can visit our website at halfmeasurespodcast.com and We'll be delighted to hear your
0: thoughts. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Um, And look, a special shout out to our Patreon producers of the show, uh, Samara King and Trisha Brady. We thank you once again for your support. If you too would like to become a a patron of the show, then you can do that at patreon.com forward slash halfmeasurespodcast. And as per always, all of this information is in the show notes below.
1: If my... Picard impression at the start of this podcast doesn't sound like Picard in the slightest. Can you cut it eight?
0: I probably won't do that. Good. Um, Good. That's what I thought. Oh.
1: Hmm. If it's not in there and people are just hearing me saying this now, we know it went badly. So, uh, so yeah. So, uh, so, so, Dan, am I right with my introduction, with all this talk of sideburns, am I right that you, you've, you've followed through on your promise and you, you've gone into the search for Spock?
0: I have not only gone into the search for Spock, Paul, I have gone much deeper than that. Like last week, you know, where I just watched the the first picture, the the motion picture, Mm -hmm. Um, I am actually, I've just finished Star Trek V, so I've actually got three movies that I want to talk to you about today, Um, quite different experiences with each one of them. Do you want me to start with Star Trek, or you want to get straight into that now?
1: Let's let's cancel the rest of the podcast and let's just make this the main agenda. Let's go. Let's hear. It. Let's let's go straight into search for Spock. Tell me, did they find Spock?
0: Okay, so we've got Spock back. That that's a great time, and I guess I did, I need to preface this conversation with having watched three movies, well five movies in total now, but the search for stop uh, for Spock um, the. <laughs> The
1: search for stock. Amazing. <laughs> that that could be the title of the podcast right there. <laughs> the search
0: for, search for socks. You know, the ones that go missing from the no. dryer. <laughs> oh, <no>. Amazing. <laughs> this is a mess. Um, the Voyage Home, and then uh, obviously the fifth one, The Final Frontier. And this week will be coming into the sixth um, movie, mm. Undiscovered Country. So... I feel like I really enjoyed the search for Spock. I feel like there was a a turning point um, for me. I think obviously the the wrap of calm was a a, a huge step up uh, from the first movie going into the the search for Spock a little bit more, I guess, emotional. A lot of big things happen in there. Uh, A lot more Klingon action. I thought it was a good movie. I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed where where it's all heading. I I feel like I I can't. I'm struggling to talk about it just as one movie. I feel like I need to mm. talk about all three. Is that okay? I
1: I think so. And I, certainly three and four together because those two, you know, they're they're like chapters of a book, aren't they? Just like the Wrath of Khan was the the first chapter. Search for Spock is the middle, and the Voyage Home in many respects is the, the, the final chapter. So I, I certainly get that. So okay go for it
0: and and I think what what was really cool about like going into into star trek um four which I felt like we went straight into straight after is going um uh, actually uh, going going back to earth, i think having to um kind of seen the chaos that was happening back at um starfleet the potential end of the in end, end of the end of the world end of the what, whatever was going on there? The,
1: the planet. The planet was going the to be planet. destroyed by the probe,
0: yeah. Um, going back in time, seeing the Star Trek crew run around San Francisco in their in their Star Trek uniforms and their kind of futurist behaviour in a modern society, well in a in a eighties society, seeing um, the the Star Trek crew kind of redeem themselves, they're they're in the um, the Klingon ship. It was such a, a great experience, and there's there's so many, I thought, fun scenes in there as well, uh, particularly where the various um, crew members are sort of given some money and they have to go out and do their, their individual jobs. I, I just thought it was a it was a fun time. It was three and four were really up there for me, Paul. I really enjoyed them.
1: Yeah, great. Com- comedy value for four is, is superb, right? and of course Definitely. that of course 5 i'll just preface by saying is that one that has that special place in my heart as being one of those movies to get to know me what did you think of number 5 Dan?
0: uh 5 i think it started off quite good like i quite enjoyed the uh the scene where kirk is climbing up um el capitan the Mm. The cliff face, it it really had a a Mission Impossible vibe to me. Obviously, this came well before Mission Impossible, but just the fact that Kirk's uh, free climbing up the side of a cliff is kind of just this kind of badass but kind of ridiculous Mm -hmm. moment. Seeing McCoy with the campfire or just even looking after the campsite and, and watching on, seeing Spock save him as he kind of falls to his death with his rocket boots and how those rocket boots make a comeback Later on in the movie, and then I think the the movie for me because I, I you gave me a warning that this one is a quite different, quite a different vibe. Mm. It was a lot of fun, like you know when there's that, there's a campfire scene, they're sitting around having some great chats, and it should really made me appreciate the the Kirk, um, bone Spock relationship so much more mm. um, through that. But I then sort of feel like there's this hard line in the in the movie where all of a sudden then it goes down quite a, a different path. And it, it kind of lost me again, I think. Hmm. So I enjoyed the first half, but it, I don't know. It, it was a little bit science, religious, too much religion, I think, uh, for me. And it didn't quite land as much for me. But in saying that, it hasn't put me off moving on to the final movie Um, sort of acknowledging that there's different directors throughout this entire movie Mm -hmm. series and they'll bring quite different things to the table
1: you can definitely tell that kirk had a part in kirk sorry shatner had a part in that fifth one in terms of the writing so shatner's character kirk is the only one who sort of keeps his 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 mental head together when everyone else around him is sort of falling for 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 spock's half brother and you know they're all sort of turning on each other he's the only one that sort of stays true to himself so obviously shatner's writing had a bit of a pattern i think you've actually touched on something really really well there that when i think about my love for star Trek five it is actually in fact that first half of the movie i can actually sometimes just watch the first half and if i don't go back to the second half of it i'm i'm okay with that uh that campfire scene is my favorite scene in all of star trek history uh, and the mccoy line uh, when spock's really annoying him when he says god i liked him better before he died that's that's my favorite line of all time just uh just a really well written line and beautifully delivered by deforest kelly as mccoy um so yeah so I, I think you've given a really fair assessment. Four has so much comedy value with Spock having to hide his ears, having to negotiate their way around San Francisco, building the whale tank, Scotty trying to get the aluminium and you know picking up the mouse to talk into it. Um there's just there's all kinds of amazing comedy moments. Uh, the music is the least compelling for me in number four. I don't know if you noticed that, but uh, number three is another movie which i feel like the first half is really really strong and then the second half other than the ending with spock himself it kind of goes through a bit of a, a muddy period but the first the stealing of the enterprise one of the all time great star trek scenes of, of all time when you know kirk is determined to go back to genesis to to to, to restore spock's mind the, the whole scene of going out of out of the space doors, out of space talk, Scotty's hijacked the Excelsior ship. It's great. There's some great moments in there.
0: I think the other thing about these movies is uh, coming into it. I actually didn't realize that these movies literally pick up right after each one finishes. Like there's 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 no gap almost. Mm-hmm. And so I think watching them all together has been quite a interesting experience because it, the whole story is connected together quite well for me. Um, it is there there so some I think some of those comedy moments in um four were really good, like particularly like i I think Scotty using the computer was absolutely amazing, and yeah. then when he's just banging away on those keys and it just kind of blows that person's mind it's it's kind of just like it's funny, and these these guys are you know older than boomers but like (laughs) it's kind of got a bit of a boomer you know boomer vibe to it as well just like clack 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 um and like all the magics there and i I, the one thing about four that kind of kept making me uncomfortable as i was and i don't know why but i keep thinking to myself you guys need to be more careful of things that you might do to disrupt the the time continuum. We don't mm-hmm. want no butterfly effects of things happening. And I just felt like even the fact that they were running around San Francisco in their space clothes, um, Spock's just jumping into the, the whale tank um, and it's kind of got weird religious robes on. It, it's so wacky. It, yeah. Even the fact that um, Chekhov left behind his phaser uh, and his communicator mm-hmm. with the military, that would have been such a I don't know what this detail is really bothering, but it was like that would have like derailed so much um military thinking and you know weapons technology for years to come.
1: I feel like you're in for because you're 100 percent right, you're in for a real treat when you're going to start watching Star Trek, because there are so many moments like this and so many time travel episodes where you start picking up out things that happen. And I think it would be really nice if occasionally they sort of acknowledge that by sort of showing oh so we first invented the phaser because we found this thing in 1986 you know uh, i think they could do some things with that uh no you, you're 100% right it happens a lot um and you know taking jillian into the future as well you know she 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 just jumps into the transporter beam and suddenly that's it she's coming she's coming home as well so uh, yeah it's it's a great moment uh, the 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 conclusion of 3 it's a really nice continuation into 4 and you're right at 5 does pick up exactly where 4 ends because of course you know it starts with Scotty complaining let's see what she's got said the captain you know and that's exactly what he says at the end of 4 so I, I've forgotten that so yeah well picked up um, one more to go then
0: yeah I know look, having, I know that you've just watched this one a, a few episodes ago so I'm looking forward to watching this and I guess from here like we're I've kind of built. I feel like I've built a bit of a relationship with these characters now. Um, I kind of appreciate them for their quirks and the way they interact. Uh, oh, actually, before we actually go too much forward, we've got to give a shout out to Zulu for that um, fight scene. Zulu, Zulu, Zulu! Oh my gosh! Yeah, I don't know the names. I'm, I'm so
1: I'm, yeah. I'm
0: still so new to the into the game. All I know about is uh, Picard's pointy sideburns. That's all. That's all I've got. Um, But that that fight scene, so great, so great. I I can't remember, you're you're going to tell me the quote, what he said, but something about.
1: Don't call me tiny.
0: Yeah, yeah, so great, so great. I I really enjoyed it.
1: And then with the guy in the closet, you know, when he's like, he says, oh, I need some action and some adventure. It's okay for someone your age whose career is winding down. And then suddenly Kirk. McCoy walk through the door and he's like, "Whoa, that's Admiral Kirk!" And her is like, "Yeah, now you want some action!" And then she turns the phaser on him. There's some great moments.
0: <laughs> it's, it's it's good. Um, also just one other thing on the that whale, the whales as well. I was surprised at like how small that tank was for two giant whales. Um, where Spock jumps in, and then I was also surprised that when they released the whales, how quickly there's a a whaling ship going after those whales, and then the way that Kirk uses the the, um, the ship to, to block the harpoon. I, so great, so great. Um, and also just on some of the the wild moments, uh, number five. And I think the the moments of obviously um, Shatner wanting to make Kirk even cooler. But like there's some scenes near the end of the movie where um, Kirk's standing on kind of the the cliff mountain and there's lasers being fired and stuff around. It's just kind of like he's just the solo person on the cliff being surrounded by explosions and. It's it's great. You can't be classic at this space.
1: And the emotional moment of number three, of course, when Spock's mind is reunited with his his reborn body that has been, you know, re re regrown, if you like, by the Genesis effect on the planet. um When he he turns and he's your name is Jim, and then the eyebrow goes up. It's a it's a great moment because. Obviously, we're watching it many years later, but I imagine if you're watching this in 82, when Spock gets killed off in the Wrath of Khan, and then you have to wait until 84 for the search for Spock, it's kind of like the title's there. (laughs) If you don't find Spock, I think there's gonna be a lot of people asking for their money back.
0: I was saying this to Samara, like, I think it's it's interesting because obviously we're watching these back-to-back, but, you know, you imagine waiting two or three years between each one of these movies, mm. and the moment would have been so much more emotional and so much more like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? But mm. um, for us, even just, you know, clearly with my minimal Star Trek knowledge, I I know enough sort of memes and internet jokes and internet ban of, of the, how all the sort of stuff loosely connects together. Um but yeah, I'm looking forward to doing the last movie. And then I guess we're gonna move on to the next generation. Um I, I think at some point we might come back and, and watch a few episodes of the original series. Hmm. Uh, but maybe we'll just sort of cherry pick a few a few out of there. Um but I think it's 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 on to Jean Luc Picard to see what this is all about.
1: Excellent. You won't be disappointed. Well, <laughs> we've talked about this before. I won't reiterate it. But, yeah, you won't be disappointed once you get to the good seasons.
0: And so I know, Paul, because there's some movies, right? Um, and I understand there's a movie that bridges uh, the original series and the next generation. But Correct. but your advice is to just actually go straight into the TV series?
1: Yeah, so that movie, that seventh movie, follows on directly after the Next Generation TV series ends um, with Picard and his crew. However, it begins with uh, an opening scene that involves members of the original crew, three of them, in fact, and then those two stories become intertwined. So I think to get full appreciation of it, watching it after having watched the Next Generation TV series is the way to go. And then just sort of, yeah. yeah, I think that's the way to go. I think that's the way to go.
0: Question for you. The original Mm. series, you're allowed to pick one favourite crew member. Who are you picking?
1: It's McCoy. So, yeah, that was. uh, I think I mentioned that last time. He's my favourite character across all of Star Trek, though. So that's not just the original series. But, yeah, McCoy's just that humanity that he brings, that sort of bridging the gap between the super egotistical Kirk uh, and the bravery of Kirk. You know, he's not just all ego. Um, And then the pure, cold, hard logic of Spock. I think McCoy's the perfect foil, plus he's grumpy. And, you know, that always, uh, I love a grumpy character. right? How about you?
0: I would have to say the same. I feel like um, McCoy's a character that's really grown on me over the, particularly the, the movie. And I, I remember him from the TV show, from the original series, from when I was a kid, but I really appreciate him now in a whole new manner. I think you're right. Like, he balances his other characters so well. I think his 80s fashion that he brings to the table is top-notch. There's that incredible... Um, not incredible there's a great scene uh in uh the voyage home when he's in the hospital and <laughs> yeah. you know he's like what is it the dark ages like it's, it's it's so good
1: he gives that lady that tablet and says take two of these and call me if you have any problems and then later in the movie it cuts to her and she's like oh my kidneys regrown <laughs> yeah yeah, it's, yeah great. it's great it's great it's great uh, it's i i have a real desire to rewatch these movies having just heard you talk about them and the excitement which you've 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 enjoyed them, and uh, I think your assessment of them has been really fair, and uh, yeah, really good.
0: I, um, I think what's helped is I think almost coming, from, because number one was mm. what it is, that they've just got better, and that's what's made it maybe more exciting, and I think, you know, I, I was originally planning to watch one of these movies per week, uh, but Samara and I have kind of just enjoyed them so much. We've kind of been intrigued to see what happens next. So, yeah, look.
1: So before we get to sex, what's your current ranking from best to least best?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. So I think I'm going to go. Okay. I think I'm going to go three, search for Spock. Mm Mm-hmm. Two, no, no, I'm changing it, I'm changing it. I'm going to go Search for Spock, uh, The Voyage Home, Wrath of Khan, uh, The Final Frontier, and then The Motion Picture.
1: Okay, okay. That's really great. That's really great because number three, I've I've been reading a lot of articles, it's rated very lowly by so many people, and it's great the things you've picked up on in that movie being so good. I think it's great that you've put it at number one. it would be interesting to see if number six inserts itself towards the top or towards the bottom of that list so we'll find out Are you going to watch that this week, do you think?
0: Uh, Yeah, I'll definitely watch it before the the next episode of the pod I do have to give just one one final uh, shout out from as I'm jumping around these different movies, in the search for Spock, when the Klingons arrive on that planet and there's that um, worm thing that wraps itself around the Klingon's neck and he kind of like lets it strangle him but then he kind of like struggles and then pulls it off and kind of Kills it, but in a a Klingon flicks type way, and it, and the, and my favorite bit is when he's he's basically like he kills this worm, and then he's like, tell, tell the bridge there's nothing to worry about, or I, I can't remember what he says, but it was kind of like no one no one asked, no one knew that you were doing this. Like it was it was the ultimate like tough guy scene yeah. that no one cared about.
1: Christopher Lloyd, ultimate tough guy. Who would have thought?
0: Definitely, definitely. What? I don't think that Klingon was Christopher Lloyd, though, was it? Or it was?
1: I am 100% sure it was.
0: Okay, well, I, I know nothing, so that makes sense. That makes <laughs> sense. Great scene, great scene. Okay, yeah, no, so look, I've watched a lot of Star Trek. If you, I would have never thought to myself, I'm going to watch three original series movies, and... If Samara, like she's away for a couple of days at the moment, if she'd been here, we probably would have seen number six by now as well. But that'll be a a Friday night treat, I imagine.
1: Something to look forward to next week. Mm,
0: mm. But, Paul, I've also watched a lot of other things. Let's hear it. All right. I've got a few different things. So I've been watching uh, more of uh, the latest episode of The Boys. So still really enjoying that. Um, And I'm not going to talk any detail about this, but talking about the worm in uh, Star Trek, there's also a great link to that in uh, episode six of The Boys. And for anyone that's watched it out there, that love sauce, the love sausage, outrageous. Outrageous. Most outrageous scene I've ever seen. Um, Definitely get amongst the show. We've only got. uh, two episodes left I believe so there's only eight episodes per season so we're kind of hurtling towards the end so that'll be all done by about the the 9th of October I believe so Mm -hmm. once we're at those final two episodes I'll give a a bit more of a a review round out for that show Um, but no it's it's still very good I have started uh, a new TV show as a, a bit of a bit of a wild card actually mm-hmm. uh on a, plat- on a platform that isn't widely popular uh on the itunes platform the apple tv or whatever they whatever they call their streaming service mm-hmm. and so uh this is a i got a free subscription for a year at some point for buying an apple product i don't know whether it's a platform i will renew once my membership expires note to self uh cancel membership before it auto-renews in November. Um, So I've started watching this TV show on there, which I'm only halfway through, but it's called Ted Lasso. And I wanted to talk to you about it, Paul, because I feel like it's got some some things in it that you might quite enjoy. I'm not quite sure how you're going to watch it. but So the basic premise of the show uh, is it's about a a US-American football coach, um, Ted Lasso, who heads to the UK to manage a, a struggling London football team. And it's a kind of comedy drama. I feel like you know, and I think Apple's kind of investing in some um, interesting projects. They're trying to kind of build up a a good library. Uh, it's uh, it's.
1: This I, is I'm Jason, quite this enjoyed- Jason's This is Jason. What's his name? Jason Sudeikis. Sudakis? Yeah,
0: yeah, so, so Jason, he's the, he's the, he's the coach and he plays this highly optimistic kind of naive coach who kind of comes with this um, real kind of um, like American charm where he's kind of a, a little bit like not naive maybe the wrong word, but he's like, he's really wholesome. He's really upbeat and the club that' he's hired there's a whole bunch of kind of drama there where the the new the new owner of the club uh is is a is a woman who's recently divorced her husband and she kind of wants to to ruin the club but anyway, she's got this coach and and there's some really funny things in it about i think that I think that you'd appreciate coming from u s to America like for example um he's having breakfast one day and he's got some He's got a box of, I don't know what they're called. It's like a 100% shredded wheat. And he like tips the cereal into his bowl. And it's just like one giant piece of cereal. And somebody says to him, how was your breakfast? He's like, I had one bit of cereal. Because it's just like a, I guess what we'd think of in New Zealand, just like a wheat bix or something. But it was it was just funny. And then like there's another moment where um, uh, when he first arrives in the UK, um, this lady says to him, um, how do you take your tea? And he's like, "Well, usually I tell them to take it right back to the counter because someone's made a horrible mistake." And I feel like <laughs> that's me. That's <laughs> you, you. And it's got a whole bunch of sort of funny little banter type things. I wouldn't just say it's a great show yet. I'm only I'm only about five episodes in. It's kind of a good palate cleanser. Mm. I will need to report back on sort of the the overall sort of deeper quality. I think it's getting kind of mixed reviews out there, um, but it's look at something different. It was a bit of a wild card. It's fun to see an American person try to sort of translate their their coaching sure. skill onto the, the football field.
1: This this one has been on my list. In fact, uh, I heard about this on one of my uh, UK football podcasts that I listen to because uh, this one is filmed at a. A, a football ground in the UK, um, where a team called Crystal Palace play, and um, so that that got me in straight away because through the sport, and then bringing a US coach into the game, um, it's got all the elements of a TV show that I want to watch. So, it, so it is on my list. Uh, finding a way to to legally consume that uh, is going to be the the next thing for me. Um, but as and when that happens, I will be straight into it. And this guy. Whose surname I can't pronounce? Jason. He always cracks me up. I loved him in that movie, Where the Millers, uh, the horrible bosses. I mean, there's just heaps of heaps of things. He was actually. I was just looking at his career. He was. Uh, he was the biker skate in The Mandalorian. You know when those two biker sk- skates were like just chatting to each other? Incredible.
0: He's so great. He's, he's actually been in. Um, I'm pretty sure he's been in. Correct me. Oh, I should say check it before I say. it, I, I'm pretty sure he might have been in Band of Brothers. He's been in Office Space. He's been in. Um, um, like, Meet the Millers is such a, a great movie. And he kind of brings a little bit of that. Like he's got a great sort of comedic comedic charm to him. Mm. Um he's a he's a really interesting funny guy. I'm just checking to see whether Am I making that Bander Brothers thing up? I might be.
1: I think you, you are. Be?
0: Yep, you isn't oh, he he's in and down, another classic.
1: Yep. No, he was not uh, in Band of, Band of Brothers, it? No.
0: Let's give him a credit, you know. Let's update IMDB. It's that's classic that's a
1: classic half measure.
0: Classic half measure. Anyway, he's been in lots of things. He's a funny guy. And I've watched two other things apart from our, our movie review of the week. So the other day, Paul, I was uh I was watching that. I was like, I've got a I've got a little bit of time to fill. I didn't have a a TV show on them on the go. I didn't have Ted Lasso there to, to fill the void. And on, on the Neon platform in New Zealand, it's often got a bunch of, of new movies, which is a, a great way to to find some things to watch. And I chucked on a movie called Ready or Not. So this is a movie I've kind of, I've seen a few um, posters and adverts of things around for it over the last six months, particularly as the, the content drought kind of happens around us. Mm-hmm. And the, the t- I didn't really know much about this movie, but the tags on it were comedy, um, mystery, horror. Now, I kind of went into this just thinking, oh, sure, it's not going to be too bad, but not not quite what I was expecting. So basically the the, the premise of this one, it's not even really in a in, in sort of a, a genre that I'm all about, but in a nutshell, basically what it's about is uh, it's, it's this family who owns a a board game type company they've owned it for many generations and if you marry into this family you it's family tradition that you play a a board game with this with this family at midnight and the way that the game is chosen is you have to draw a card from a, a deck and whatever the game is you play it so some of the other spouses in this family have got there through playing like checkers or chess or something something simple but there's one bad card, and as you can imagine, um, our our main actress, who is uh, Samara Weaving, um, draws the one bad card, which is basically hide and seek. And then it turns from sort of a uh, it's kind of one of those those movies that's kind of uh, gives you sort of like jump scares, and mm-hmm. but it's kind of the dark comedy, but it's come out every now and again, and that the, the family basically ends up hunting her in a, in a in a terrible game of of hunt and hide and go seek so um whats the kill hunt and seek I'd probably give it maybe 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 two and a half guns on the guns of Kimbo scale two, it's huh? maybe 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 two maybe two it it's fun I wouldn't rush out to watch it if it's not your jam. Definitely uh, quite a bit of dark horror stuff in there, which I wasn't quite expecting. But, mm-hmm. yeah, a, a different a different one for me. A different one, that's for sure.
1: Sounds interesting. If, uh, at the same time, horror is not my genre. I know none of the cast, and I ha- I'm just looking at the two directors, Matt um, bednelli Alpin, and Tyler Gillett, and I haven't seen anything they've directed either. So there's not many things pointing me towards it. At this, oh no, I know Andy McDowell. Yeah, okay. So I think she's like the one person I know in this cast. So uh, there's not enough there for me to say oh, I'm going to go watch this. If I'm honest, mm-hmm. but I like that you're giving things a go. It's what I do frequently, as you well know. So, uh, um, yeah, good. Yeah,
0: like you. it's I, the one thing that um is interesting in looking at this movie afterwards is Samara Weaving, who's the the lead actress, is actually the niece of Hugo Weaving. Um, oh, right. so little family connection there. Um. Look, it's fun, but, you know, it's fun. Not a must-watch.
1: <laughs> Not a must-watch. Okay, okay.
0: Okay. And the one final thing I've been watching, um, a little bit of a, a different movie for me again, is this is a, a documentary, actually, that quite a few people have been talking about, and I thought i I better jump on the train. And this is The Social Dilemma. So this is a, a Netflix movie, mm-hmm. and it basically explores the, the human impact of social networking with technology. Tech experts um, sounding the alarm on their own creations, and it's it's a really fascinating uh, documentary to watch because it, it's basically interviewing a bunch of people who have been pretty key members of um, Pinterest, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, etc., and just talks about how social media, in particular, influence us and how. Informations um, served up to us based on based on the way we interact with it, from whether we're um, scrolling through our Instagram feed, whether we we pause for a, a few seconds longer on one poster one one picture more than more than the other, mm-hmm. and it kind of tells a, a an interesting story around we're heading towards quite a dark path, but it, it's not too late to change it. And I think one of the ways that this documentary makes itself so accessible. Is it kind of has this? It has some has some actors kind of playing out some some scenarios and some scenes, which kind of works alongside the documentary. So if, if it's one of those ones, which I think a lot of people will get a lot out of this. So mm-hmm. if you're kind of interested or you you work in that kind of customer experience space or a digital space, it's it's a really interesting one to watch, and it's it's one that I wouldn't normally come and kind of raving about, but it's a it's a good one to go away and think about and kind of talk about and talk about what technology is doing to us
1: really interesting that does appeal to me i think it would probably appeal to our social media manager as well really interesting what you said about hey if you if you pause on one photo for a few seconds longer than, than another obviously that's that's noticed and plays a part behind the metrics i always find it interesting on instagram i don't know if you ever noticed this, when you when you go into the search, you know, the magnifying glass, and just like if you search anything, it always pre-populates it with with things. And so, like I've just gone into mine now, and I've got pictures of the Mandalorian, I've got Star Trek, I've got Transformers, I've got Breaking Bad, I've got Jedi's, I've got lightsabers. It, I mean, it's kind of got me pretty well. So, um, it, it is obviously very clever. It knows what it's doing.
0: It does do it. It's got some really interesting stuff as well around. How you know when you search, you know, the example they use if if you search, you know, climate change is the results that um, you might get in, um, say, in in Wellington, New Zealand versus what you might get in uh, Melbourne, Australia versus um, in California. Like they're going to be quite different because it's based on what people are searching for around you, what other people's. search preferences and devices are doing it's it's really fascinating and particularly that piece around you know what type of content they're going to serve you up next and I think one of the really interesting messages is particularly like with Facebook um you know the common sort of um thing is mentioned around you know they're going to sell my data and what this is actually talking about is no one's selling your data because your data is actually the most valuable thing that these companies own. It's yeah. how it's it's how you use these things and, and what they can push towards you, which is the, the valuable bit of information. If they want you to use if, – if a company or somebody wants you to buy a product or vote a certain way or whatever it may be, the key is how they can actually – Get eyes on with that. So look, I, I would, I would highly recommend it. It's as I say, it is something really different, and um, the half measures world, but uh, a fascinating one nonetheless.
1: Brilliant. Well,
0: that's me, that's me Paul.
1: That's a whole bunch of stuff, Dan, and I've added that to my list. The social dilemma. I really appreciated that, and I loved hearing what well, you thought about those three Star Trek movies. Um, I'm going to be real quick this week because I have watched a whole bunch of stuff. I've been continuing to watch the Young Wallander series, and uh, I've got one more episode to go on that. So I'll talk about that next week. Uh, we watched a comedy on Netflix uh, called Michael McIntyre Showman. Uh, I don't know if you know Michael McIntyre. Typically, there's like chat shows in the UK, but highly recommend this. It's really funny. So relatable for anyone who might be, I don't know, maybe a bit older than they used to be and is still trying to cling to being young. It's a great watch on netflix uh watched a movie big hero six uh with the family great movie really funny very sad had my daughter who's six years old in tears i mean there's there's so many people in this movie who are either dead or die during this movie and you know it's some real strong messages for kids in there but it's but it's pretty sad right
0: (laughs) i um i took my niece and nephew to see big hero six when it first came out at the movie theater and i'm with like that was a sad movie, and I remember like just looking at it and being like, "Are you guys all right?" And it, like, you know, I I don't think I was all right, but they that they, <laughs> they seem to just kind of put through it. But um, it, 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 it's for a a giant inflatable um robot. Yeah, it really got me in the feels.
1: You got the you know you got the the parents dead right from the start. The brother dies ten minutes in. And then at the end, sorry, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen this, uh, you know, the inflatable thing dies as well. And I'm like, oh, really? Did they have to kill him off? And then, of course, the program reboots. Uh, it's kind of safe. But, yeah. So, um, so yeah, that was interesting. But there's only one thing I think I'll, I'll talk about, especially in the interest of time. Um, and, you know, I've got a quote from this movie that I watched. And you're going to see if you can guess what it is. I don't have friends. I got
0: family. That i feel like you mean you, what, is it a movie or tv series it's a movie fast and the furious
1: fast and the furious number seven i figured since you were keeping on the trek vibe i had to keep that that furious vibe going number seven so this is the 2015 installment in the in the franchise I see Dan furiously typing on keys. He's getting all his tabs open. He wants to be fully ready for anything I might throw at him about this movie. Uh, So firstly, I thought I would start by saying that I thought uh, how well the guys that made this movie, the cast and crew, how well they actually acknowledged the fact that obviously Paul Walker had had died um, either at the end of this movie or during the filming, towards the end of the filming. And obviously how well they handled that. I liked how they left his character at the beach with his family. And then you had that that montage of clips. So that was really tastefully done. Um, Vin Diesel's dialogue, you can tell when he's talking at the end, it's, it's truly heartfelt as opposed to Dominic talking. It's Vin Diesel talking. So I imagine it must have been really hard for, for them all to film those scenes and I just think that you know regardless of anything else I might say about this franchise I thought that they were very respectful about that they were very delicate and even casual observers of this series of films know you know about you know, Paul Walker's death and so I felt I felt the sadness and the emotion of that moment so uh so yeah that was that was well done.
0: Yeah that's a um it's I feel like you're getting more into the the big set piece, Fast and the Furious. Like as you as, this every time like as you get deeper into this universe, mm-hmm. and I think Fast a Furious Seven is an interesting one because I think you know as as you say, they do have to deal with um, Paul Walker's death. And I I actually found myself when I was I, I saw this in the movie theater, and as you do. And I kind of found myself a little bit like anxious through the whole movie about how are they going to deal with this? Are they going to deal with it? Are they actually going to kill him off within the series? And is it going to be, and, or are they going to just kind of fade to black on it? Like how are they going to do it? But I, I think you're right. I think they did it in a tasteful and respectable way that could kind of stand the the test of time in the, in mm-hmm. the fast and the furious context.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, not everything not everything else was as well done you know so i came out of number 6 you know with me saying that that was my favorite well that's still the case um this this movie has really amped up i think on the on the action and when it comes to stunts it has taken us to a whole new level of you know suspending disbelief and reality um it's, it's kind of like it's like the it's like the Expendables, but on steroids, which is a it's a frightening thought. Um, and you know, I thought the Expendables franchise was like the A Team on steroids or something. I don't know. So it was a uh, so then Vin Diesel's driving a car out of a skyscraper. He then lands it in a neighboring skyscraper, and then thirty seconds later, he's doing it again. It's incredible. Even even Brian, you know, tried to keep some realism. I remember when he sort of said what I thought was one of the best lines when he said to Dom, "Dom, guys, cars don't fly." Yeah, it was just um, it was just incredible. <laughs> but 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 apparently they do. And if the skyscraper wasn't enough, we also have Vin Diesel driving uh, a car off of like a two hundred meter cliff and then getting out, you know, relatively uninjured. And if the cliff isn't enough, we ha- we also have the five cars dropping out of a plane with parachute. And so, um, honestly, there is there is no end to what Vin Diesel can do. He can survive anything, that guy. And it it actually reminded me, then of uh, an article that uh, one of our listeners, Bruce Gray, sent through a couple of months ago about how Vin Diesel's character is actually a Terminator in the Fast and Furious franchise. I still haven't read it in case of spoilers, but I've, I've always got it there sitting on my phone because I don't let anything go. I tell you what, I'm already getting a strong vibe that this theory may hold water because he he cannot be stopped. He will protect his family. He'll protect John Connor no matter what. Maybe we need Lynn, Linda Hamilton to come after this franchise to take care of him. But uh, yeah, the action scenes, the stunts, incredible.
0: I think what you've got to remember, Paul, is the street always wins.
1: Yeah, thank you for reminding me.
0: And... I'm just trying to, it's been a while since I've seen uh, Furious 7 because unlike the Star Trek movies, which, you know, obviously get better over time, Fast and the Furious started really strong and then go, gets worse. Um, there's, a, Isn't there a great scene also in Furious 7 where Vin Diesel stamps his foot on that broken car park and kind of helps, like, collapse the, the car park or something? Is it? Or well, there's, there's some moment where he's kind of like he does something crazy like that.
1: Maybe. I don't specifically remember that, but I feel like I spent a lot of time watching this movie talking to Diana, just turning to her going, did that just happen? And <laughs> in, in the course of that happening, something else had happened. Um, but, yeah, you could be right. Oh, another person who seemingly cannot be stopped uh, is Vin Diesel's partner, uh, Letty. Played by the astonishingly somehow returning Michelle Rodriguez. So I, I was originally disappointed when she went out the second movie because based on the cast at that stage, she was like the second biggest name in the franchise. But you know, it turns out she didn't die. She she survived, she lost her memory, and now I guess we all just have to accept that she is she's back. Um look, that's okay. I, I've just seen Vin Diesel survive too full speed, head-on collisions and walk away without even a limp, so anything's possible. But honestly, um, I would I would love to have seen, like been in the room when the screenwriter was talking through the story to like the, the executive board or something about how Letty comes back. It's a bit of a stretch, although apparently we should have seen this coming because Diana actually did some research on this because she was like, what's going on here? Have we missed something? And apparently there's a scene at the end of the credits of Fast Five where... Eva Mendes's character, whoever whatever her name was, was basically she sort of said, "Oh, Letty's not dead." Whatever. So, so we should have perhaps seen this coming. I don't know if you recall that.
0: I do recall there are some some great moments at the end of those um, films that kind of hype you up for the next movie. Uh, just while you were talking, Paul, I just did a a quick YouTube search, and so when um, uh, Jason and Vin are having their their fight. Um, on on that car park building, there's a there's a big crack in the concrete, and Vin Diesel basically like stomps his foot on the crack, and right. then that basically cracks the the piece that um, Jason Stratham stand is standing on, and he falls in. So I think he's, he's definitely a Terminator. He's got to be. In fact, if that was the twist at the very end, I'd love it.
1: Brilliant. A uh, good point. Actually, I've forgotten. So yeah, so that is a real positive. Jason Statham, he's joined the party. I thought he, actually I thought he was great in this. Um, you know, at no stage in the movie does he come close to smiling. He's that badass. He's that cool. Great scenes with him and The Rock. And, you know, The Rock, again, just like the last one, has some incredible dialogue, honestly. He, when he gets his script, he must look at it and just be shaking his head.
0: I think you're really going to love Hobbs and Shaw because Hobbs and Shaw brings, like, it just amplifies the um, Jason Statham rock um, banter towards each other. And, there's still the over-the-top Fast and the Furious movements, but I think it's it, it's a bit more of a of a tighter tighter cast and crew, I guess. So I would be interested to see where that places in your in your movies.
1: Yeah, no, I, that's a good call. I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, I guess you know I'm I don't know eight movies into this franchise. So we've got the fate of the Furious and Hobson's and sure to go before F9 drops. So I am interested to see. What the next call to action is going to be about? What's going to get you know Vin Diesel fired up again? Because I'm, I'm guessing they're running out of reasons to do that. I am also excited to see how Statham's going to get himself out of prison. Um, it, it's going to look, it's going to feel strange without Paul Walker being there. I'm, I'm sure. Um, but the main thing I'm definitely racking my brains about is how they're going to be able to come up with any stunts that are crazier than this. Because I feel like in in franchises, often the next one is all about being bigger. And I just feel. I don't know how you can do that with this, so I'm I'm uh, perversely excited about watching Fate of the Furious, which I presume is before Hobbs and Shaw. I think it is anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. So yeah, that is that's the correct order. There is be rest assured there's no shortage of new stunts that they can do. Brilliant. And actually just this this week or last week, I actually saw an article where they're thinking of taking Fast and the Furious to space at some point. So, you know, the, the sky's the limit.
1: Amazing. Well, I guess James Bond went into space with Moonmaker so it seems only fair that Vin Diesel has a go.
0: And this is why I keep coming back to. I, I enjoyed the more grounded, we're, we're stealing DVD players from trucks. Like that was fun. You know, that, that feels accessible. Yeah. But anyway.
1: I get you. I get you. But um, but yeah. That, that's, that's me, I think. I'm looking at the clock and thinking that that'll do us. Let's, 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 let's get into our movie of the, of the week then, shall we?
0: Yeah, so movie of the week. So just a quick summary. So every week, Paul and I uh, take turns choosing a different movie. Um, we post that movie in our Discord. And if you would like to watch along so that we don't spoil the movie for you, that would be the place to check it out. We try to pick a a variety of different movies, both new and old, Um, and this week we went with the the Netflix original Enola Holmes. So Enola Holmes is basically the story of Sherlock Holmes' younger teen sister, played by uh, Millie Bobby Brown, who some of you may remember from a little uh, indie project called Stranger Things. And so the basic premise of this movie is... Millie is kind of grows up with her mother. She's homeschooled, tutored, taught by her mother. um, A whole bunch of different skills, very similar skills to what I imagine um, Sherlock Holmes might have. And Sherlock Holmes is played by Henry Cavill. Um, Anola's mother goes goes missing one day, or missing is maybe the wrong word. Disappears and. Anola sets out basically on a a quest to to find her mother Um, and obviously only being 16 years old, um, her two brothers, one of which whom is Sherlock, um, are also trying to find her and make sure she is looked after and ideally sent to to boarding school, according to them. Paul, what did you think?
1: I had a great time. I really enjoyed it. It was... uh... I love the universe of Sherlock Holmes as as it is. So that was, that was part of the appeal. Uh, the cast when I saw, you know, Millie Bobby Brown, Henry Cavill, Helena Bonham Carter, there's so many great reasons to get involved in that movie. I felt like it was, it was one of those movies that felt like it was kind of something for everyone. There was kind of that whole, you know, um, you know, it, I, I understand it was based on the, the young adult novel series that was, that's been written. Um, and yeah, I, I thought it was a neat little film, really funny. Um, I've got a, a bunch of things I can talk about, but I'll I'll pass back to you just to get your first impression.
0: Yeah, I um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was it was definitely funny. It was definitely charming. I think that uh, Millie Bobby Brown's role as Enola Holmes is so well cast and fun to watch. And I really enjoyed the. The fourth wall breaking components of your role—how mm-hmm. you know—I really felt like she was going to bring you on the adventure, or you were in on the inside joke. Um, and, and I think you're right—a a pretty star-studded cast, but a cast that also lets Anola um, uh, be, be the star of the show. I think that I—I I, I probably say this way too often it would have been a great series. I feel like what they've done with this uh, movie is they've kind of, they've set it up. There's obviously going to be, I imagine, um, several more movies that come out that kind of flesh out uh, Enola's character. I felt like I was left with questions, but it's it's just such a fun watch. It kind of feels hard to give it a hard time because Hmm. I think there is something, literally, like you said, Paul, there's something in there for everybody, whether you're young, old. It's um, it, it's, it, it's, it's different, and I think it's it's the kind of joy the world needs right now.
1: Agreed. And of, of all the films that we've had for Movie of the Week, this was the one which got some, some really good chats going in our Discord channel as well, which is awesome to see, with people going back and forth about what they've thought about it. I really liked, as you just mentioned, how – um Elona would Elona? Elona? Elona would would, would e- Enola? Enola. Enola. Goodness me. It's just, of course it's Enola. Salute. Salute. Yeah, it's my turn to get it wrong. Alone backwards, Enola. I, I liked how Enola would break that fourth wall as you said, talking to the audience without anyone else in the scene, you know, knowing that she was doing it. You know, that doesn't always work, but I've seen it work effectively in other places like House of Cards uh like in fleabag and i think it worked really well here the director i noted actually uh harry bradbeer he actually directed all but one episode of fleabag so i guess it's probably no surprise where he picked up uh the the talking to the audience uh routine but um no it's there's there's a, a lot of things in here i i you know i've already talked about millie bobby brown you know already sick already world class at age 16 right just granny stranger thing great here um, I felt like I would have liked a few more scenes with with her mother. I really enjoyed those flashbacks of how she's been trained like you. We could have added on a bit more time and had a bit more Helena, Helena Bonham Carter in there. I even thought the guy, um, Louis Partridge, was good too um, as as the Vicain of Chixbury, Marcus of Basilweather. <laughs> Great title. Not seen him before. Um, and yeah, I just love the the tone of the movie, the angle of seeing it all through the eyes of Enola with, with with Sherlock sort of secondary as for once. Um it was just a really great, interesting take. And if, there, if there's more coming, I'm definitely going to be on board for more. Real good fun.
0: I, you know, I was actually kind of laughing out loud by near the end of the movie um, when Enola's offering people five pounds to change clothes with them. I just thought it was so great. Um, such a such a, a great line. I thought it I think one thing I found hard with this movie is with obviously so her two brothers being sherlock and um mycroft i found mycroft to be almost kind of a bit too mean and evil and i and i i know that sherlock we often see sherlock portrayed as quite a a quirky character and Mm. henry cavill definitely definitely wasn't that way in this movie he was he was much more the um, the friendly, caring, loving brother who um, Enola wanted really to mm-hmm. be the one to look after her, um, but Mycroft felt like the like the villain to me. Like in a, a villain's the wrong word, but the he was he. I, I I didn't enjoy him. I
1: I think I think you're right in what you're saying, but I think also at least the iterations that I've seen of Mycroft, particularly you know. Sherlock with Benedict and maybe an elementary with Johnny Lee Miller being the two that spring to mind he Mycroft often is that villainous one or is constantly uh, maybe he was a little bit more in this i think i think you're right in that respect but I've, i actually found that, that that Sherlock Holmes felt very different to any other iteration i've ever seen of him more so than Mycroft. and yeah you know, and to clarify i think Henry Cavill was great his performance was great, and, and he really looked the part. But the way his character was written, that felt very different. He seemed less manic. He seemed less arrogant. He seemed less Sherlocky, if that makes any sense.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I, I think you're right. And I, when I say I didn't uh, like Michael, it wasn't it wasn't the actor or the acting or the. Mm. I just I just found myself. It was such an upbeat. Fun movie. Right. I didn't know whether he needed to be the bad guy. Like we already had some bad guys, kind of, and some mystery going in there. It kind of just felt like a. But I don't know. I guess maybe it's maybe it was needed, but it it didn't fit as well. But I, I think you are onto something interesting um, with the with the Sherlock piece. And I, I've actually read an article the other day that the um, the estate that looks after. Uh, the Sherlock Holmes books uh, is not happy with the way that Henry Cavill's actually been uh, his portrayal of Sherlock Holmes because, as you say, it's not in sync with any other way that we've seen Sherlock in the past.
1: Well, I don't think they should be angry at Henry Cavill. They should, if they if they do want to take anything, they should take it take it out with the 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 writer, I guess, because that's that's the way he was written in in these books. But I guess if that's the way he's written in these books. Then it's not just the the Netflix production they should be going after. It should be this this young adult series. By the sounds of it,
0: I think what um, even though it was a, a different Sherlock term, maybe what we what we're used to. I think it maybe had to be that way to uh, allow uh Enola to be the to be mm-hmm. the star that she was in the series. And I think it's cool that a a big actor like Henry Cavill can come in and do that and kind of step aside.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Just a quick shout out as well. I just realised as I was looking at the cast, I forgot Fiona Shaw uh, in this movie as Miss Harrison. Uh, I've only come to know her over the last few years, mainly through Killing Eve, if I'm honest. Um, but I just I find her a brilliant actress to watch. Great voice, and she was she was fantastic in this. Also, I liked uh, the guy Ben Gorman who played the the real bad guy in this movie. He kind of reminded me of like a young William Defoe. He, uh, he was he was he was. He was quite creepy. I enjoyed enjoyed his character too.
0: He was terrifying, right? And I think this is what's interesting about uh, and Holmes is, it's it it's never quite clear who it's pitched at because I actually thought the the fight scenes between himself and Millie Bobby Brown were, were quite intense. I thought,
1: mm. considering
0: you're you're dealing with a um, a, a, a young sixteen year old, uh, but you know, trying to trying to drown her, trying to trying to kill her, trying to stab her, trying to do all sorts of things. Um, but obviously Anola uh, held her own in all of those situations. Um, but yeah look I think that this is a this is a fun watch that I don't think you could go wrong with. It's definitely got something for everybody um, and look hopefully you, you come out of it with a, a smile on your face.
1: Definitely and uh, I think definitely gonna be a, a successful series if they if they do more and uh, I, w- I would like to see them somehow. Somehow incorporate the the mother character um, Eudoria, played by Helena Bonham Carter. Because I felt like the the chemistry that her and Millie Bobby Brown had on the screen was 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 really great fun. So, uh, yeah, who knows what direction they'll go next?
0: Yeah, definitely. It, it would have been great to see her um, more in there. But yeah, I think there's I, I think there's about six books, isn't there, in the in the series? So hopefully we'll get a, a few more outings that will. Flesh out some of the the wider universe and the and the wider stories.
1: Mm. So that's our movie of the week. Where we're moving to the the news desk, Dan. Where I understand you have some news for us. <laughs> I'm going on <laughs> a I real I'm you're... going on a real limb here.
0: <laughs> it's, it's high energy. Um, I'll go pretty quick because I I know that um we're we're going. We're going long again. Um, so I just saw today uh, Borat 2, which we talked about uh, last episode, I believe, um, is actually going to be coming out on Amazon Prime in late October, which I think is it's great. That's exactly the way I want to watch Borat. I don't want to go to the movie theater. I don't want to go out and do it. But at home streaming, I'm all about it. And apparently it's coming out right before the election in America. So I think that's going to be Perfect. fun. And hopefully uh, a good laugh and hopefully uh, it'll probably have some interesting uh, subtle messages or not so subtle as the case may be to share. I
1: I dare say it will. It will be interesting to see which of these two things the the US election or Borat 2 actually is the, the more ridiculous, I guess, time will tell. Yeah.
0: Um, it looks like we are going to get uh, Clint Eastwood's Fistful of Dollars has been made into a TV show, get which will
1: be out. Shut up! Are you for real?
0: I'm for real. I'm for real. So um, it looks like there's it's it's in the early days of of being scoped, but I think you know we've talked a little bit about Fistful of Dollars on on here before. Mm. I think that will make a fantastic um, TV show, and so many different ways that you could go with it don't know too much about it yet I am the am excited of how excited you are right now, but I can see by your face that you're you're full hype
1: it's it's one of the podcasts we haven't done yet one day we'll, we'll we'll have to is our top ten movies of all time and spoiler alert uh for a few dollars more is in my is in my top ten um which is you know, the that middle chapter of the of the festival of dollars trilogy so um this is this is very exciting, yeah, okay. I I can't wait. I'm going to stay tuned to that story. Brilliant.
0: All right. We're also getting a, a Lion King 2. So obviously in 2019, uh, Disney released the um, the Lion King again. Um, and so we, we're getting a number two, which I guess is probably no surprise. I think that'll be interesting. I, I know that the Lion King was obviously pretty popular, a show that you could watch, uh, a movie you can watch on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I think what will be good about The Lion King 2 is I actually think it'll be telling a story that not as many people know, whereas I think The Lion King 1 is such a a well-understood story and The Lion King 2 has got a chance to to do something a little bit different. So that is in development. We, we've got a whole bunch of James Bond rumours, so... There's a whole bunch of articles around how the the bookies in the UK have actually um, suspended betting on who's going to be the, the next James Bond, with the the odds really tipped at the moment to be uh, Tom Hardy. But there's also, as as that news kind of emerged, there's also news that Henry Cavill was also potentially um, interested in playing uh, 007. What to believe in this case? Who knows? We're, we're still waiting for the final uh Daniel Craig movie to come out, but I this is this is probably a whole podcast in itself. Who should be the next James Bond? Um, we've talked about it a lot before, Paul. We love the idea of Aegis Elba. I think we're both on board with uh Tom Hardy. Hmm. We're interested in Henry Cavell, but I think he plays, I think he's got quite a different look to me for a James Bond.
1: Yeah, I think I think he would he would look good in the, uh, you know, the the bow tie. The I I feel like he's almost too too big, too bulky for the that Bond character. Also, when you've played Superman, I think that's that's enough. It's kind of like you know Harrison Ford, you're Indiana Jones, you're Han Solo.
0: Come on, you can't
1: have all the good ones. It's like uh...
0: you definitely can't. <laughs> you can't be the Witcher, Superman, and James Bond. That, that, that's all the jobs, and you've taken them all. Um... I also don't think of James Bond as uh, obviously like he he's a tough guy, but he's not like he's he's not like a he's not a tank. And I think um, it's a quite a different. Uh, you would almost have to you'd almost have to tone it down a bit, um, which I think might be hard, even from a you know moving between different seasons of The Witcher, which he's uh, currently doing. There's always talk Superman films. I don't like. Can your body go through those so many transformations to to maintain all of those roles, mm. and one final bit of news from me, I just thought this was it was interesting. It, it, it made me laugh, to be honest. Uh, a recent interview with uh, Kira Knightley, um, and she was being interviewed about her role in Star Wars: The Phantom Menace, and she couldn't remember who she played. Um, she thought she was Padme. Amazing. She
1: was the uh, the decoy.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm not sure how I'm gonna say. Sabi, sets S A B E with a Sabi, Sabi maybe. Yeah. Um, but but either way, I think I well, you know, credit to Kiera Knightley. Obviously, has done hundreds of movies and was was pretty young when she did this. But um, I just think it was it's funny to be interviewed and you know to be on such a, a huge thing like Star Wars: The Phantom Menace and not actually be clear what character you played. That's great.
1: That is incredible. I think she
0: should she should come on half measures. That's perfect.
1: She, she, she's ready made for it, if that's her attitude. Um, I actually, I've read recently a novel, the Star Wars canon novel, Queen Shadow, and that features, her character features in that uh, book quite sort of prominently. So in my mind, when it was her character, I was actually imagining Keira Knightley. so uh, at least one of us can remember who plays what. Well played, well played.
0: That's me, Paul. That's me.
1: So, very little from me. Off the back of my non-news story last week, uh, where I was talking about Mark Hamill and Patrick Stewart doing their Uber, Uber Eats effort, well, we now have Patrick Stewart quoted as saying that he would like to do a Star Trek, Star Wars crossover movie. 100% that will never happen, but I like the idea of him liking the idea. So uh I thought that that was that was quite cool. I, I I would watch a little comedy sketch with him and Mark Hamill. That that would be enough for me. Just like the Uber Eats at. Um and the only other thing I had was um, and this was I think based off of the success of the the rebooted Stephen King movie It and then the the sequel another of his movies is being redone and this is Firestarter and uh, apparently Zac Efron is going to be the the main star in this one. I can't remember that much about the original, other than I thought it was really good, and I remember that Drew Barrymore was 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 great in it. It's kind of like for me, probably Drew Barrymore's most I- iconic role. So um, uh, I know Diana's a big uh, fan of the Stephen King movies, so um, it'll be good to look forward to that one. Very good, very good. So I've got a few things here in our mailbag to take you through. So let's dive in, um, Rochenda Sandel who plays Detective Warren in Criminal UK. Uh, She shared our Criminal UK uh, posts on both Twitter and Instagram. That resulted in a few of her friends from the show tuning into our podcast, and I'll I'll move on to that just a little bit later. Um, We also had um, Gloria Guider, she was the lead actress in the 1978 movie the bermuda triangle that i watched uh, last week she gave our review a like on it, and i thought that was great because you know you often don't get engagement from you know cast or crew from movies that, that are more than a few movies old, a few years old sorry and you know this one's 42 years old and when she starred in that movie uh, so that was that was a nice little surprise um a conversation that we had last week uh, for you watching the first two Star Trek movies, uh, we had a, a few comments there on the, the 1979 motion picture. I think the one that resonated the most with me was from someone called Christy Ashley from the UK who said, it's a great film, right up until the Enterprise enters the cloud, after that it's like someone puts the parking brake on. And I think that's probably a, a fair reflection of what we both talked about last week for the first mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, I think so. Uh what else have we got here? Uh, so uh, Michael Douglas, uh, peak performance. We had some more votes for Falling Dan come through, which uh, Dan, you and I both had as our runner-up. Uh, Jewel of the Nile was also in the mix, including um, for our pal Paddy from Time Travelling Team Podcast. Also a mention for Ant-Man, which I definitely agree with. Uh, Wall Street got some votes as well. Both had that both in our Discord channel, and also Norman from Roddenberry.com went with wall street michelle pfeiffer a lot of votes for batman returns popular choice just like us Uh, we also had votes on our facebook page for dangerous liaisons uh not to be confused with the one you talked about dangerous minds uh hairspray i am sam and the other one was stardust that was a great movie um yeah some great picks in there so thanks to everyone who put the vote in and then the final two pieces in the mailbag this week i think are pretty exciting Uh, both of these came in via twitter so they're there for anyone to see so firstly last week we reviewed the zookeeper's wife as our our movie of the week well the writer of the movie is angela workman this is someone who's worked with directors like david fincher roland emmerich but last week Angela switched Fincher and Emmerich for Whiting and Kanawa. and she actually took the time to listen uh, to our entire review of the movie. And you know what? As the writer, she decided she'd get in touch with us in response to what we'd said. So um, for anyone, yeah, who who didn't listen last week or can't remember, we commented on the podcast last week that maybe that movie could have been I don't know, maybe 30 minutes longer so that we could have some time focusing on the lives of some of the, the Jewish people who came into that, uh, you know, the zoo, the sanctuary, you know, to give us a little bit more about where they'd come from, who they were, what their story was and so on. And Angela's response um, to our review, sorry, not prepared her, I should have put this up on Twitter, she, uh, she said to us, fair critique, so straight away. That's, that's, that's a thumbs up if, if the half measures is getting a good response from the writer. Uh, and then she said, just know the Jewish characters were fleshed out in the screenplay. Uh, it was very important to me, but they were cut for time in post-production. So Nikki's first cut, the uh, director, Nikki Caro uh, was actually over three hours long because I wrote such a long screenplay. Thank you for watching. And also let me add regarding Lutz Heck. So this was the, the Nazi If you take a look at Diane Ackerman's book uh, on which this movie was based, you'll see her well-researched description of Heck's predatory attraction to Antonina. So um, so that was great. I thought that was to, to have the writer listen to us and then respond. That was amazing.
0: That is both amazing and terrifying at the same time um so just in case uh henry Cavill or um millie bobby brown are listening this week i hope we've said all the right things about uh enola homes that's that's awesome That's really awesome
1: but wait there's more then um so i mentioned before that we reviewed criminal uk season two on the podcast and uh once again you never know who might be listening to hear what these two celebrated new zealand podcasters have to say um Now, I think this may have been a result of the retweet that we got from uh, Detective Warren um, that I mentioned before. Who knows? But Jim Field Smith, the creator of Criminal, um, this is the guy who's written and directed every single episode of both seasons of Criminal uh, and is the producer of all four iterations of the show. He's given our podcast a listen as well, Dan. So uh, this is pretty cool because he's the creator of a TV series that features in our top 10 TV shows for 2019 and I think will be for 2020 as well. So this is this is, this is is pretty awesome. He's gone from directing David Tennant and Kit Harrington to listening in to a Whiting Canary review. And he also wrote in to us and he says here, uh, Tēnā kōrora, Moldy greeting for two people. You've got that spot on. Amazing! Thanks so much for watching the show, and for your thoughtful discussion. So we replied back to that. We're lost for words. To which he then replied again, saying, "Well, it didn't sound like it." Thanks, very kind. Um, so first, I like that he tried. He tried his hand at a at a at a greeting for us. And secondly, I feel like now if we had like a like a billboard poster for this pod course, podcast, podcast, so we could now legally include next to our logo in quotes. A thoughtful discussion and then a hyphen and then say you know jim field smith criminal uk you know i think it's an endorsement in fact screw it i'm putting this on my linkedin and on my cv he said it it's on the record how about that interview suspended
0: that's incredible uh that, that's so cool it's so great to um have that level of engagement um and again just as terrifying um with the with the writer of um the zookeeper's wife just to have this level of engagement, you know, we'd we' we are just a couple of kiwi lads uh doing our thing and to have that uh that level of celebrity presence is it's incredible. It
1: is. And I i have to say Dan in thirty two episodes, give or take our voicemail from Starscream, which I think we'll remember till the day we die, this week's mailbag is probably my favourite because, you know, when, when movie in TV stars and that when they share and they like and they retweet that's that is great. I love that. But if the screenwriters and the the shows creators are actually going to choose to spend their time listening to our review <laughs> of their work, that's incredible. And then to respond to us, um, it, it's too
0: much. It's too much. It's too much. It's too much. It's it's good though. I think um, I think this really just sets the bar for the social media manager and. You know what what are what are they going to bring to the table this week that it, it's
1: we're constantly reassessing their performance, and they're just you know mm-hmm. I presume sooner or later we'll have to financially remunerate them for all their efforts, their efforts I guess
0: one day, one day, one day we'll see we'll see
1: shall we go through to our, our peak performances Dan
0: yeah, so um, much like uh, our movie of the week, our peak performance is a, another little segment of the show where. Uh, Paul and I take turns about choosing an an actor and an actress each week and then we talk about what we think are are their peak performance um, and this often gets us thinking about uh, old movies and new movies and uh, inspires us to, to watch new things and so this week it was Paul's choice and who did you go for Paul?
1: This week Dan, I have selected Al Pacino and Kate Blanchett
0: Great choices, great choices, and who would you like to start with this week? Let's
1: start ourselves off with let's go Pacino.
0: We're go, we're going big, we're going big. So Al Pacino, he's got he's got quite the back catalogue, and I think there's so many movies in there to choose from. Um, but I'm I'm probably going to go for some classics, to be honest with you, and a couple of runner-up choices for me before we go number one is can't go past uh Al Pacino um in hate as Lieutenant Vincent Hanna. Like mm-hmm. hate's such a great movie. And I think Al Pacino brings something so special to that um to that role. He's with a star-studded cast. Absolutely incredible. I also can't look past, you know, and, and this is this is probably this is a real um tough choice for me because it equally could have been number one. Uh, But I think Al Pacino's role in The Godfather um, Mm. as Michael Corleone, absolutely incredible. Favourite Godfather movie would definitely be part two. But for my peak performance for Al Pacino, I'm actually going to go for Scarface. I think Tony Montana is such an incredible, iconic bad guy. There's so many crazy scenes in that movie that are still great today um it, it it's such a great movie for me i i enjoy watching it every few years and it's i know that Al has played a lot of kind of gangster roles mm. throughout his time but i think this is just so iconic um and yeah i i, I think it's it, it was a really tough call for me between this and and the godfather nice how about
1: you some good choices in there. Look, uh, one of one of the all-time greats. So I actually d- decided to go with Pacino because when you chose Michelle Pfeiffer last time and it started me thinking again how much I loved watching Scarface. You know, when, when my dad let me watch it when I was like 15, um, I thought, oh yeah, let's let's throw Pacino in the mix. He's one of those actors who I actually own a lot of their movies. You know, back in the days of collecting DVDs, I think I've got like over 20 Pacino movies. Um, and I actually, this is probably one of my two or three claims to fame, I actually saw him i'm not going to say met him even though i did talk to him i saw him uh as i was passing him crossing a street in new york back in 1999 and i just my main memory of it is that he just looked a million dollars he just looked great uh super cool but also ridiculously short like i had no idea how, how short this 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 guy was but um a great actor he's He's pretty famous for often having like those really shouty performances. You know, when you think about movies like Any Given Sunday or Scent of a Woman. Um, and then my winner for this does feature a, a shouty Pacino, but um, he's actually, you know, he's kind of like, a, he's got a lot more than that in his locker. He, you know, his recent performance in in Hunters, the TV series, was was, was really good. Uh, the Insider with Russell Crowe has been in quite a few romantic movies too. um, I think, you know, as you said, those mob roles, he's just he's incredible. I don't think he's ever not nailed the part in a in a you know, whether it's Donnie Brasco or the Irishman or and obviously as you said, the, the Godfather. Um it, it took all of my willpower not to go with the Godfather just because I can't separate him out from Brando and De Niro. Um same with Heat. So my runner-up, um, I w I think Oh, see, I'm doing, I'm doing a damn whining now. I'm changing my mind on the fly. I, th- I think I'm going to go with Dog Day Afternoon as as my runner-up, um, just simply because I've really. It's, it's a 1975. It's, it's quite old, but I really enjoy how manic he is in that movie. How how inflamed and it's a real like he's front and center in most movies, but in this one, he he just feels to be like he just owns every scene. He's just. Yeah, you know, he you really empathize with his character. You want him to to get away with what's going on with the bank robbery. It's a it's a it's a great movie. That would be my runner up, but I'm going to go as uh, for my winner is actually the Christopher Nolan movie uh, Insomnia, where he starred as a as a as a cop in Alaska hunting down a a killer, who was also played incredibly by um by by Robin Williams. Um, but yeah, he plays this this cop who gets entangled in a murder case and then he, he gets in trouble himself because he actually kills his partner. Um, and so he's he's in Alaska and like the sun never sets up there. So he's suffering from insomnia because of the sun not setting and also the fact he's going through the guilts. Um, and I can't think of an actor who actually looks more tired than Pacino anyway. He always just looks tired. So he was, he was perfect for his role. Um, and yeah, his chemistry with Robin Williams was, was amazing. So uh, it's a movie I chuck on more more often than I do most Pacino movies, it's uh, you know, and obviously being Christopher Nolan, it's um, it never got that much press or attention, and I just I, I, I never know quite why. Because probably the biggest story out of it was Robin Williams in such a serious role, you know, as a murderer, but the Pacino cop was uh, the performance for my peak performance.
0: Great, great choices, Paul. Um, you've gone with a couple of uh, left field ones for me. Uh, but still, I, I think Al Pacino is, he's one of those actors, I think, who no matter what he stars and he he, he brings so much charisma and, and something special to the role. Mm. It's even just as you were talking, it got me thinking about movies like uh, Donnie Brasco as well, which is a, another classic. Carlitos Way, like, I, I expect we could, God even Dick Tracy, which I would imagine would be a terrible movie today, but, uh, Growing up was a was a fun time, so I, I I'm looking forward to hearing what some of the the listeners think uh, Al Pacino's uh, peak performances.
1: Absolutely. What do you got? What do you got for Kate Blanchett?
0: Well, Kate Blanchett. So again, you know, another so many so many great roles um, for Kate Blanchett. Um, I think. Oh, it's, it's tough. It's tough. I think what I'm going to go for, um, runner up, I've I've decided to go for something a little bit, uh, I guess, different in, in her back catalog. And I'm going to go for her, um, role in Robin Hood as, um, of Loxley. So this is the the Mm -hmm. 2010 Robin Hood movie, um, starring, uh, Russell Crowe. And I, I think she was great in that movie, um, uh, something something different as a bit of a runner-up i've got a i've got a, a second runner-up though as well and i'm actually going to give a, a bit of a shout out to uh um the animated movie um ponyo where um um Cate Blanchett actually uh god i'm losing my i'm losing my words <laughs> where well, she does the the, the the english the who would have thought in the half reasons podcast would have um yeah, basically does um, does one of the the, the the voices for one of the the characters in that. But for me, for for peak performance for Kate Blanchett, I can't go past um, her role as Gledrill in any of the the Lord of the Rings movies. I think she just brought such a a strong presence to all of those films. I a hundred percent believed um, who she was, the the character she was portraying the the power, the, uh, just, just the way she kind of, you know, I don't know that's all like affects the way she kind of like beamed down and people, but whether it was an intimate scene or whether it was a, a scene, um, surrounded by magic and mystery. I, I just think she owned that role. Mm. And whenever I think of her now, I think of her as Galadriel, the the lady of the lake.
1: Brilliant choices. Uh, you've touched on a few that I, sort of noted down here I think the first thing I should say is that I don't think I realised she was Australian until I looked at her IMDB page so I'm not sure how I missed that Um, but just like Michelle Pfeiffer last week I think for me she's another one of those great voices of cinema and her voice is quite authoritative I think particularly you know when I think of like you've just talked about the, the, the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies you know a really strong narrator I cannot imagine Anyone else sort of doing those those sort of those voiceover parts that that, that she does um, so 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 well so um, that was definitely in the mix for me. Um, I think the movie I've seen her in the most times, and I don't want any of the haters to come at me about this movie, but is actually her in Indiana Jones. I find her really entertaining in that movie. I have no problem with the King of the, of the Crystal Skull. I know a lot of people do. Um, I actually found her quite. Quite good as the uh, as the Russian in that um, I I really liked her uh, in uh, I'm Not There, um, which was a, a movie about Bob Dylan and she did a a portrayal of Bob Dylan that was just outstanding. Um, to be honest, in fact, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give oh, doing it again, changing my mind at the last minute. I was just I think that's that's probably is my my runner up for her because there's there's a there's a couple in contention for the winner no I'm, I'm changing my mind on the fly i'm going to keep that as my my winner is for uh elizabeth um which is uh the the, the first elizabeth the first um which was probably i think the first time i can actually remember seeing her which i i don't think that's happened for any peak performance actor or actress i've done before where it's like i've gone with the first time i saw them i don't think but it's a great movie she really owns the throne you know she's got that royal voice really good facial expressions as as elizabeth the first and um you know it's i think because she's sort of learning in that movie her character's learning what's necessary to, to be a monarch is what makes that kind of stand out she just looks the part and yeah that's that's my peak performance. But, yeah, I think I I really am now leaning back towards those Lord of the Rings movies because I've forgotten, of course, that she was in the Hobbit ones as well. I mean, that's just such a great character across those movies. Great actress. I, th-
0: I think there's one movie which I am kicking myself now because I've only just remembered um, another role where she's an absolute star is in Thor Ragnarok. Where she plays the uh, the sister to Thor and Loki, uh, Hela, and uh, I, it's definitely not. I wouldn't put it over Lord of the Rings, mm. but it's definitely in, in my runner-up categories. I think uh, she plays a really good villain as well, and uh, yeah. Great choices, Paul. Great choices.
1: They're, they're just because I feel like I need to mention it because I was obviously just struggling. The other one I had in the mix was The the, um, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Oh, I, great choice. I, I, I found that performance really, really good as well. Um, but you can only have one winner, right?
0: There can be only one, even though we we just had so many um, runner-ups. <laughs> we can, week on week, we just talk about all our, our favourite movies. Paul that must just about bring us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast.
1: Correct. And uh, if you want to get involved in our peak performance or anything we've talked about today, or if you're a movie director or movie producer or writer, we know you're listening, get in touch. It's it's what happens these days. We're used to it. It's no big deal. You can do that at halfmeasurespodcast.com or you can do it on social media at halfmeasurespod on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Other than that, we'll see you uh, See you next time. I'll hand back to you, Dan, to close us out.
0: Yeah, you can also uh, get in if you want to come and hang out with us on our uh, Discord channel. Do that. If you'd like to become a, a patron of the show, um, help get the lights on here, that would be great. Uh, I can't say whether the quality of the show is actually going to get any better because, you know, Paul and I are like half measure all the way. Um, but it's been great. It's been another long one. We'll let you guys get back to your lives and we'll see you next week. Adios.